All right, it's Chandra with the Contemporary Horsemanship Podcast, and today I'm going to do my first book review. I like to do a lot of reading, mostly horse books, and um, I probably should have started doing this sooner because that's kind of interesting. And then, I mean, hopefully it helps out you guys. You can kind of decide if you want to read a certain book or kind of see if we got the same thing from the from a book. Um, but also you could see, um, you know, if it's going to be a waste of time, which is always something frustrating for me is like, oh, I've heard this is good, but then I don't know if it's good and I don't want to get into it. And then I read a few chapters and I was like, that's not really for me. So the first book that I want to kind of review is Mark Rashid. Hopefully I'm saying his last name right. His his book, Horses Never Lie. So I've had this book for a while. I've heard lots of good things about it. Um, I've had it recommended, but it was in like a story form. And I'm usually not, when it comes to horses, um, a story person in books. I'm more like I want to listen to you know, or not listen to, read like behavior science and, uh, you know, step-by-step training, things like that. I'm more into the very much nonfiction. This is all same thing, nonfiction. It's not fake, but it's in story form. So I was just kind of like a little bit leery of it, but I shouldn't have been because it was absolutely amazing. So I kind of want to talk about some of the main points and things that he talked about. And then um, it it just definitely changed a lot of things. And I've had a um, this a similar view on horses for a while, but it just it definitely helped me um, make more sense of like negative reinforcement and horse training and stuff like that. So, anyways, um, so he starts off the book of like him like a story from his childhood, and honestly, like the first um, story, I was like, um, um, I don't know if this book's for me. <laughs> so I wasn't really sure because one of the first stories he tells is about how. He goes to this, who he refers to as the old man's house, and there's a bunch of horses there, and he wants to be around the horses. And the first kind of, like, horse training interaction experience he has is um, this horse doesn't want to be caught, so the old man takes the rest of the herd out, and then this same horse still doesn't want to be caught, so they take the whole herd away, and he, like, runs and paces the fence line, and eventually he allows himself to be caught. I understand the where he's coming from there. Like, okay, well, he doesn't want to be caught, so you know, we kind of have to show him that that's going to be the only option. Like, I get where he's coming from there. That makes sense. But I thought that it was a little bit too much (laughs) to have the horse running and panicking and potentially hurting himself in that scenario. Like, I wouldn't recommend that as good advice to fix a horse that can't be caught, especially since I definitely use a lot of clicker training and I can get a horse to be caught pretty quick with that. So at first I was like, oh no, I'm not going to like this. I've heard so many good things and I'm not going to like it. But luckily after that, everything's great. Like for me, I just don't like leaving a horse in that situation. And I know that's not Mark's thing either because it was a story about another person, but, um, that was like the only thing. And luckily I kept reading. So anyways, but so that I didn't particularly love, but overall besides that like everything was fantastic so he really talks a lot about passive leadership and about partnership and really um talks about how like natural horsemanship has gotten into this dominance theory and he really just is like dominance theory is not a thing um or for him, it's a thing. It's just not the way to be, I guess. That makes more sense. And that's kind of how he describes it. For me, dominance theory is not a thing. But really, for most, like, cowboy, natural horsemanship people, it's still very prominent. Like, dominance theory is still there. Like, you have to dominate the horse. You have to be the leader, blah, blah, blah. 
And he has lots of good examples of how horses in a herd situation, like one would be really dominant toward the other horse. Not that they are like the alpha horse or whatever, but that they would really want, they really value like their hay pile or getting a drink of water. So they would really push the other horses around. The other horses would move, but they all wanted to stay away from that other horse. Cause like, they're like, that one's not fun to be around. Cause he's really pushy. And so he made that as um, a really good example of how that works in horse herds. So he's not saying like, you know, domiciliary is not a thing, but he, which is, you know, which is I, what I'm saying. But um, he's saying like when they are behaving really dominantly, the other horses don't want to be around. So like when the other horse kind of wants to go get a drink, but he just kind of goes over there and maybe the other horse moves and you're asked, you know, he's like just not very pushy and rude about it. Then the other horses want to follow. Or if one horse has the idea to go stay in the shade, some others might follow. And he has really a lot of examples that are really good about that, that I really liked. It was the passive leadership stuff. So maybe sometimes you ask your horse to, you know, can you do this in a certain way? And then if your horse has another idea, it's, listening to the horse, seeing, okay, why does my horse think this or feel this way? Um, Because there's always going to be a reason to that behavior. And then that might even be a good idea. So it's not letting your horse do whatever he wants, but it's not dominance and like my horse must be subordinate to me. It's not that. It's kind of meaning in the middle, which I really liked. I liked that to kind of help people who maybe um, are using methods that are really intense and rely heavily on dominance theory to kind of switch over and get to the passive leadership and then move on to just, you know, working with your horse. I like that partnership um, versus anything really because it's going to be a conversation. Like with my horses, it's always a conversation. Like, can we do this? Okay. Oh, you can? Okay, great. You can't? Okay, why not? And then we kind of figure it out. So I, I really like that. He also talks about asking versus making horse do something, which is, oh, it was like the best part. <laughs> I think that one was going to be his, um, his example story was like he was riding this horse still while he was a kid with the old man, um, that was the old man's horse and she, he couldn't get him, her to go, I believe. Um, and like, like he would kick on her and he, she she wouldn't go and the, the old man would come out and he would hop on and just ask her really lightly and she would cane her around and slide stop and do all kinds of stuff and he was like well I don't understand she doesn't do that for me it's because the old man was asking and he was making so I thought that was very cool he also has another example with the reins that I'll get into a little bit later but he talks a lot about finding the try and rewarding the try so I've heard that a lot and I feel like that's kind of the missing piece between um, a horseman like him or like someone like Buck Brandman or like Ray Hunt stuff and being um, like completely understanding negative and positive reinforcement. Because when he's saying finding and rewarding the try, he what in scientific terms, it's like he's using very subtle and good negative reinforcement is what he's using. Um, because a lot of the times... People will wait until you get that complete behavior to release. And if the horse either um, doesn't necessarily want to do it, has been forced to do it, um, is uncomfortable somehow, then they'll, you know, you kind of have to drag them around, pull them around. They're not really getting that reward. You're not building in that lightness. You're not releasing when they're thinking about doing something or they're shifting their weight. You're not releasing at that point in time. So you're not making a light horse through good negative reinforcement is what I'm trying to get at. And that was probably 
one of the best takeaways that I had from this. Um, I think that was like, that was the best part because I think where people start getting the line where negative reinforcement becomes um, abusive or like too much pressure is people who are making the horses do stuff instead of finding that try and rewarding that try. So obviously rewarding is not part of it. You're not rewarding um, because there's no reward in negative reinforcement, there's a, because it's you're taking away. That's what that negative sign is. So if I barely pick up on the reins, my horse backs up, and I put my hand down, I am releasing. And so the um, essentially like to re reinforce, not reward, to reinforce the behavior is me putting the reins down, which is the subtraction of the small amount of pressure that I was applying. And that's how that um, behavior works, or that's how that reinforcement. Um, specific set of reinforcement works that's how it works so you can't have a reward there but I understand what he's trying to talk about is you as the human are rewarding the try that the horse is giving you but in negative reinforcement terms you're releasing it so I thought that was very cool um I like that he was saying that people most of the time are looking for um, all the bad things that their horses are doing and overlook all of the things that the horses are trying to do correctly. Um, because especially when you're teaching horse something new and what you are usually doing most of the time is like fixing a problem or teaching a horse something, starting a horse under saddle. That's where people start finding trainers because they're running into issues. You don't find a trainer when everything's great and you can go trail ride and you don't have any problems or you're winning all the shows. That's not when you find your trainer. So that I thought was really cool is, and we've been very conditioned to do that. Like, Oh, there's a problem. Let's fix it and then move on. But we aren't as conditioned to be like, Oh, he's doing really well here. And that's for me, what I really love about positive reinforcement is I'm like, Oh, my horse is doing something good. I'm going to click and reward him. So it kind of switches your mindset. You're like, Oh, that was great. Here's a food. That was great. Here's food. Like I tell that to my horse, like my horse doesn't know that as a cue, but I'll be like, Oh, awesome job. Good job. Like something like that. And it's just me being more positive in general with the way I interact and ride with my horses. It's completely different than a few years ago and like everything before that. So I'd really, um, probably need to make a video of that to where I'm, you can have like a little, um, review or like a a difference see the difference in my past working and writing videos and then my new ones because I would get very frustrated before I'd always be like okay well he's doing this but now he's doing this other thing that I don't want and I was always looking for things that I needed to fix versus now I'm like oh my gosh he did this or he made a step in the right direction and with that positive reinforcement because I'm looking for something to reward it just makes me um, have a much better time and I feel like it makes my horse have a much better time so even if you want to use negative reinforcement if you're looking for those little tries like oh he's starting to back up he's starting to shift his weight he's starting to close his throat latch like he's on the way to that behavior I think the negative reinforcement is going to be so so much better so and I think when you have the other end of the spectrum where you pick up it really lightly, nothing happens, and then they just go to pulling, that's definitely where negative reinforcement can become punishment. So it's very subtle. Like just training animals is very subtle, whether you're using negative reinforcement or positive reinforcement or all any of the other contingencies. Like it's, there's very subtle lines before it changes into something else. So try not to get super sciencey and confusing. 
but if I could explain things in like terms that make the most sense, that's really my goal with all of this horse training stuff. So, um, that's trying, what I'm trying to do is like, which, which is why I really like this book is I think that there's that gaps being bridged there between super sciencey terms and like things like rewarding to try and being a passive leader, things like that. So I really like all of that. So, um, even if the horse is trying, he says, we might never even see it. So again, just getting really stuck on being goal oriented, um, like, like different steps oriented, like, okay. I, and I love a list. I love steps. Steps keep me focused and keep me in line. I love all those things. I love step one. Okay. Step one's done. Okay. Step two. But there's a couple of problems with that is we don't want to just be done with step one because we need to move to step two. Are we done with step one because my horse is completely confident with step one and we can move on from there? Or are we just kind of glossing over it? And then when we're also, when we're stuck on those things is, oh, I want to go to step 10 or I want to go to the horse show and then I'm not paying attention to little adjusteds in body language and tries and things like that. That's why I love his tries so much because I'm a big advocate of watching horse body language, paying attention to equine body language because we definitely have a problem with that of just completely overlooking it or just have it completely wrong. So we definitely don't see a lot of things that our horses are telling us. Um, so I definitely like that. And then th- this kind of goes into that too. He says that we're constantly looking for the big thing. We look at, we look past the most important part, the try that tells us the horse is understanding our request. So that kind of helps clear it up a little bit more. Is yeah, when we when we release when the horse is being soft, then we can add a little bit more to that. There'll be even they'll give us a little bit more next time and we can build from there. And it's very similar thinking to the positive reinforcement way. Like um, a lot of people don't want to do clicker training because they'll be like, well, I have to go all the way back and redo this behavior. And I was like that too. I still am, am like that. Like with Castor, he didn't want to lead properly. You know, it was very frustrating. You know, like I got to go back to the beginning. Let's have one good step of relaxed leading and then one second of a good halt and then build up. So now can he do two steps? Can he sit for two seconds in between three seconds and four seconds and then build it up from there? And really, since he had done this behavior before we just needed some tweaking even if it's a new behavior like it went really fast it sounds like it's really slow but if we don't go back and completely make sure that that foundation is solid you're going to have cracks later on that's probably my like main thing with all of training stuff is I'll be like we need to go back and build that behavior up and make sure there's no cracks everything needs to be solid up to wherever we want to be because we're very very easy to just get like, oh, that's good enough, good enough, good enough, because I want to go do this. But it's not good enough. It's just putting a band-aid something, it's going to pop open later, and it's not going to be great. <laughs> so that's very important. But yeah, we and then as far as horses trying, like, so that's the part of about clicker training that people don't like, is they'll be like, well, I don't want to do all these little tiny steps. Same thing with this stuff, where when you're rewarding tiny tries and negative enforcement, it'll be like, well, my horse already knows how to, like, back up, let's say but he's really stiff doing it. So I'm like, yeah, he knows how to back up, but you want to fix it because it's not very great. It's not pretty. He's very stiff and he's pushing on you and pulling on your hands. So it's not what you want. So you need to retrain it. So be like, well, he already knows it. 
yeah, but he already he knows it in that like lean on you, not back up until like you have a ton of pressure away. And that's not the way you want him to know it. So you have to reteach him in the way that you want him to in a very light way. So instead of we take the slack out of the reins and then when nothing happens, we pull more and pull more and pull more. Then we end up with like a dragging step or something like that. If we just take the slack out very slightly and we just wait and then when that horse shifts their weight, like just just a tiny bit backwards, moves their head slightly backwards, then we can release that and then we can build it up from there. That's really what we want. When we don't look for these little tries, the horse can be become frustrated with us, we become frustrated with them, and then it's really easy to damage the trust between the horse and the rider. Like we always talk about trust and it's really like one of those things like that's hard to see and hard to like figure out how to get but it's really easy to lose like it takes a long time especially like horses are prey animals like we're predators like we're not usually like hanging out together in nature so getting a horse's trust can be quite a long process but destroying it can be really fast um, unfortunately so when we get frustrated and I used to do this all the time I would get so frustrated and I'd have to like be, just be done because it would just be, it would just make the situation so much worse. Now I can kind of start and be like, okay, well, I'm getting a little frustrated, so let's just find a good place to stop. But that took a lot of time and a lot of effort. Um, and it's really easy when you're, you know, if you're not looking for a horse that's trying a little bit and you just go to pulling right away, it's really easy to become frustrated because then you're like, you don't see that the horse is trying, so then you don't think that they are. Then you get frustrated, the horse does, and then the horse loses all trust in you. So that's a really slippery slope and you just want to always give the horse the benefit of the doubt for sure. Like if you're not noticing what's going on, you're not paying attention hard enough. If you're like, oh, the horse is spooking and there's nothing around, like you're not paying attention enough. Something's bothering the horse. It's your job to figure out what it is because we're the humans in this situation. So we have chosen them to be our companions. We need to figure out what's going on with them. So, but on the flip side, instead of being frustrated by finding the little tries, we open a door of communication. This is what Mark says that will help the horse look to us as dependable and fair is which we, which we really need, which is very important um, in the horse, like human relationship. Like instead of being frustrated and scary people, like the horse trusts us, the horse looks to us for our judgment. They're like, okay, well they're going to release when I'm soft. And it's like, a, it's a communication. That's what horse training and riding is supposed to be about. Um, he also says that if he forced her to, to do something, where would the trust be? Just like with any relationship, if you force your partner or your friend to do stuff, like they're going to probably not want to hang out with you very quickly because there shouldn't be any force in that kind of relationship. Like that's just, um, that's just not part of it. Uh, I, I could see like if you need to force something for like a vet and there's like a vet situation, but that's not your normal everyday scenario. So that's not typical. I wouldn't force your horse to do anything. They're not going to learn anything good from it. They're going to be terrified. It's just like, like, I think I'm pretty sure I've said this before. If I'm terrified of snakes or spiders or whatever it is, if I'm terrified of snakes and you're just like, you're not afraid of snakes and you want me to go with you to see snakes, whatever. Instead of, you know, taking my time and doing little steps so that I'm comfortable with the, with the snakes, you just put one in my lap and just hold me down. Am I going to like snakes after that? No, I'm going to be more terrified and I'm not going to trust you anymore. I'm not going anywhere with you anymore. So 
that goes for pretty much any fear that you could possibly have. Um, but, and then that's from a predator too. Like we're predators. Like I don't want anybody holding me down and putting a snake on me. <laughs> now think of it from a prey animal's point of view. Like they'll probably, it's going to be months before they trust you again, like in certain situations. So it's just really for your benefit and for the horse's benefit to just give them the benefit of the doubt and be like, what is going on? Like, let's not force it. Let's break it down. Let's go back and let's figure it out. That Like, that is probably the, my main thing that I'd like people to, with horses to know is that, is like, let's just go back a step, figure it out. Let's not push it basically. So he has another really good story about um, this horse that he's keeping um, on the rail. So he wants the horse to ride on the rail. The mare, I think, wants to go to the middle of the arena and he just could not figure out like why she wants to go over there. He was like, all right, well, let's go over there. So, um, eventually what they would do is he'd be going on the rail and she would start turning like left to the center of the arena. And then as soon as she starts doing the turn, like he would pick up the right rein and ask to go back to the rail nicely. If she would go back to the left, he would allow that. So he would allow like her to go that way. He would release that right rein, but then he would move her up into the trot and then, have her do a circle and end up back on the rail. And as soon as she got back to the rail, she could walk again. And they did that a few times. And then she would just go on the rail on that light right rein cue. And I love that story for a couple of reasons. So first, most people are going to say, oh, well, you can't let go of your right rein cue because now the horse is just going to know that you're not serious and not listen to that cue. But this story proves that that's not true. He asked nicely, the mare was like, no, nah, I have other ideas. They, he made that slightly harder than what he wanted to do. And then eventually what he could do later was while he was going on the rail, the, the mare wants to turn to the left. He picks up on the right and she goes back to the rail. So you didn't wear out that cue at all. You you added something else to it. So you you that cue is important because if you didn't have that right rein cue, you wouldn't have a form of asking the horse, can you stay here instead? And then if she says no, then we'll, we'll ask, make it a little bit harder, but you need that cue. So if you're just riding on the rail and she just goes to the middle and you didn't ask before then, like it could still work, but it's not gonna be the same. So like if you're riding and she goes to the left and then you have her trot and come back, like yes, that could still work, but you wanna have that cue in place uh, beforehand essentially. So then you have it to be like, hey, can you just stay here instead? So I, I really liked that example. I thought that was pretty cool. So the other thing that Mark talks about is if he's willing to fight with a horse, that the horse is almost always willing to fight back. And I've definitely seen that in my experiences is where you want to, like you're arguing with him or you're mad or whatever, and you take the frustration off out on them. That's when horses can pull away. That's when horses can rear strike, kick out, and then it makes everything so much worse. So, um, and then obviously when that arguing and happens, like you break that trust and it takes a really long time to come back. So you, you don't want any of that stuff. Um, another thing that I really liked that he said was sometimes pretend like the problem doesn't exist. Like he has this example of like a horse on his like dude ranch that was supposed to take out um, like people on trail rides and stuff. And that she was just kind of flighty and was like worried about certain things. But really he thought it would just take care of itself once the horse felt comfortable in its surroundings. And that was exactly true. So like there was different rules for that mare. So it would be like, don't approach her quickly. Don't like 
do certain things. There's a whole list of things. And a lot of people would be like, well, I can't just not do those things. Like then she'll, you know, she'll get away with it. She'll learn to do all these things. But again, that was not true. So what he did was he told all of the other people who worked on the ranch, like I, I know one of the things was to not approach her quickly. And then I think this was the one that wouldn't tie. Um, so she wouldn't like, don't tie her, like don't hard tie her, don't approach her quickly. And then there was a, there was a quite a few other things. Um, but they did all those things. And then over time she relaxed and then they could do those things because she had trust in them not to scare her. So instead of, Oh, my horse has this problem. We, we need to teach her how to tie, which is exactly how the problem made itself much, much worse over time was that, um, they would be like, oh, well, this horse needs to tie, so we'll tie it to this, and we'll tie it to that. And she just got more and more afraid, and it got worse and worse and worse. So instead, of be like, okay, I see that you're afraid of that. Let's try not to scare you. And just in doing that, you build that trust with the animal, and over time, you can do those things. So I thought that that was a huge thing as well. I, I loved the reward and the try, and I loved that, where it was like, just pretend it doesn't exist, and then it won't. Like It was once the horse trusts you, then you can do all these other things. Like that's the one thing about horses that I learned that was a good thing <laughs> very early on. Um, with the very first horse that I had was a mare and I spent all kinds of time with her because it was like 12, like literally 12, <laughs> like not just the saying. But um, so I would spend all kinds of like, I would ride her, I would brush her, I would just hang out with her. I would just do, I was just in love with that horse because I had wanted one forever and it was just like the best thing ever. So, um, but she definitely trusted me. Like we definitely were not perfect by any means. Like I needed a lot of lessons and a lot of training, but, but she, she trusted me until like I had gotten the Mustangs, like on unlike any other horses ever trusted me. So it, it's definitely a very cool feeling to have that from an animal, especially one so big. Um, because the, probably the main reason that I know, she trusted me were the things that we did that we never trained on. So, and that don't really make any sense. Like why should, why else she would do them? So when I had her, um, we had like a tiny two horse, like straight low trailer, like one of those older ones. That's really small. She wasn't a big mare. She fit in there, but you know, they're not set up super great. So like they're not horse friendly necessarily. Like as far as like being trapped and stuff like that, like the horse could definitely feel trapped quickly in one of those. Um, we had one of those and we were moving. So I had her and I had bought her in Wyoming. So we were moving from Wyoming to Colorado. And I believe at the time, like we didn't even have a house, like that's a whole other story, but, um, so I didn't have any place to keep her. So the general plan was to keep her at my mom's friend's house who was literally right down the street. We walked her over there. Um, and then we would come back in a few months once we had a place, we had fencing put up and everything and we'd come back and get her. Um, so just like a quick little like boarding essentially. So I walked her down, down there and she stayed in the pasture and it was perfectly fine for her. Like she had a good pasture. There was friends next door. Like she was totally fine. Um, and she was there for a couple of months, not really, not a, not a long time, but I didn't see her this whole time. Like I, I didn't get to visit her, nothing, but we had spent uh, about two years, a year and a half together previously before I had left. So we have all of that like history. So I think it was about three months, maybe longer when I came back to go get her. So <laughs> me and my dad went to go get her. 
I am like 13 and uh, don't know a whole lot. I've never loaded a horse in a trailer in my life. We bought this trailer specifically to move her from um, Colorado to Wyoming. So like we brought it with us. We didn't even have it in Wyoming. That was one of the main reasons like besides not having a house like that we didn't take her with. So we bought it there, brought it up with us specifically to get her. I had never loaded a horse in the trailer. I've never loaded her in the trailer. And she was like, specifically when we bought her, they were like, yeah, she doesn't load well. She came to us in like a three or two horse stock trailer. And she was like banging the walls and was like mad about it. So, you know, what I had known from her was like, she's not loving this. So I go and I see her and I'm really excited to see her because I hadn't in so long. And I'm, you know, I pet on her and we have the trailer ready and like everything's ready to go. And I, I just lead her up to the trailer and I don't, I think I might've like stepped into the other side. Like, you know how it's got the divider, you put your horse on the left and you walk into the right if there's no other horse in there. And I walked her up there. She walked right in and I shut the door and that was it. And it was insane because the only reason she did that is because she trusted me that nothing bad was going to happen to her if I let her in there. So that's the only, there's, that's the only way that was possible because we had never worked on it. We had never trained it. She had never been in one with me. Um, I don't know if she's even been in one in general, like a straight load probably, but, um, and we hadn't seen each other in so long either. And then, um, another reason why I think that is later on, once I brought her back to my new home and I wanted to go like go to shows and stuff, we'd work on trailer loading and it was a freaking mess. <laughs> it was a nightmare. Like she did not want to get in the trailer. And we had to go and learn how to do that. But that was definitely proved to me where that she definitely trusts me. Like horses have trust in, in people. So um, that's like a little side note, but I thought that was definitely cool. So um, it kind of goes together with like the making the things don't exist. Like you you have that trust and then you can do a lot more stuff together. So um, another thing that I liked was he says, let horses tell us how they feel and let them make decisions, which I love and which is a huge part of clear training. Um, and, and another part of people who not necessarily just believe in dominance theory, but just do a lot of natural horsemanship type stuff or traditional type stuff is like your horse does not have a choice ever. Like you don't let them make choices. You don't let them do anything um, because then, oh no, like they'll think they're the boss, which is just not true. If they're feeling like, oh, we should go this way. We should do this. I let them and either hey, let's do my thing instead, or like their thing's not that bad. And that's where that passive leadership comes in, that partnership comes in, which I love. So another big thing that I liked um, that I kind of forgot was in the book. This is might be kind of long, so um, I'm trying to keep it short, but there were so many good things in there. And now I've already downloaded like four more of his books, so it was amazing. Um, a thing that he had talked about was he was working with this horse that a lady had brought to him that had done like a lot of natural horsemanship stuff and a lot of those groundwork tasks um, where they'll be like, oh, do like back up and yield the forequarters, yield the hindquarters, do this, do this, do this. And what, what I've seen happen really quickly with those types of exercises and training is that the horse gets really sour and they get really frustrated because they're doing tasks that don't have a point to them. Like um, a lot of the times, like the horse will, they have to have a reason to expend energy. Like they have to, like people be like, oh, they have to have a job. They have to have something interesting to do. When you continually ask your horse to four quarter yield, 
for no reason, like you could see how it would be really frustrating and the horse would either like do it and be really annoyed with it or barely do it. And just like, ugh, all right, she's asking me to do this again. You know, like there's, they're, uh, they're annoyed because they have to do it more. And it's like, this is pointless. Like if you'd make me like, like on the Simpsons, when they make you write the same word or same sentence over and over and over and over as a punishment, that would drive me insane. Like I hate doing the same thing over and I hate doing pointless tasks. So I can definitely relate to this where it's like, Oh, just, just write this sentence over and over and over. Like it's not going to make me not do it any less either. So it's not a great punishment, but, um, yeah, it's just very frustrating. You hate the situation. You hate the person that's doing it to you. And it's very easy to be frustrated. And I was like, yes, this is exactly it. Because I'm not going to say who the trainers were that I followed, but I was following a few trainers and they have all, which I love the structure part. They have structured programs and you do this and you do this and you do this. But I feel like what happens with a lot of people and especially beginners is they'll be like, well, this isn't quite good enough. Again, going back to looking at just the bad um, they'll be like, this isn't quite good enough. I think we should do it again. And so we'll do it more and we'll do these few lessons a ton. And then the horse just gets mad. And then you're like, well, now he's worse. Like, what am I doing? And then you do him more. And it's like this big cycle of, of going nowhere really fast. So that I thought was really, really cool. So, um, and it wasn't like not asking your horse to to pressure or not asking them to do stuff. It's just not asking them to do things unnecessarily. Like horses have to conserve energy. Like if you don't believe that, get yourself some Mustangs. Uh, get your, just get yourself some Mustangs. I definitely recommend because you will learn so much. But um, like mine definitely only want to do things if there's something in it for them. Um, and it, it, me too. Like I, you know, I don't want to do things unnecessarily. Like I try to plan and be like, oh, well, I should do this and this and this. I'm not going to do a bunch of extra steps that I don't absolutely need to. So that's the same thing with the horse. You can either scare them or you can make them really frustrated. And most often you're going to make them really frustrated if you're doing things over and over again or unnecessarily, unless it comes to like something with like desensitizing. So if you have like a flag, which is pretty common, like if you have a horse that's afraid of the flag and it's just continually afraid of the flag and you continue to do what these trainers are calling desensitizing, you could just scare the crap out of him or you could make him um, shut down. So you don't want that either. So there's two sides to that, but you don't want it. Neither of them are good. You don't want a shut down horse and you don't want a horse that's just mad at you and, and frustrated. So you don't want that. Um, the other thing he says is that the attitude and quotations that these horses have will go away when he's not asked to do these meaningless tasks. I'm like, yes, exactly. I just recently get got out like in the last year I'm still kind of stuck on that where it's like oh I should do this and this and this and if this is perfect then I can move on to this I'm still getting myself out of it I definitely think I'm better than I was a year or two ago but like when I was starting my mare Dakota I was still very much like oh well you gotta lunge your horse first then you gotta tack him up then you gotta lunge him again and then you gotta ride him I felt like that was part of it and I go back and watch the videos and I'm like she did not need to be lunged that much like what am I actually teaching her you know it's just like all of these things like no wonder she was frustrated because I'm asking her to do the same thing over and over and over again um so yeah that's <laughs> that's definitely something I can relate to um another thing was the difference of doing something with the horse versus to the horse again very important um and a, a big cornerstone of clicker training so I could really like mesh that mesh his book together with like the stuff that I do so I thought that was cool um you also which was I was just talking about is you don't want to get stuck getting a technique 
right that you lose sight of like your horse and you know everything else basically um and I get stuck on that too is I'll be like well this technique has to be perfect to do this and this and this because I get stuck on those steps when it should should be pretty pretty good which which is also hard because it's like that something that's not tangible so it's like when is it pretty good to go to the next step and that's what I want to kind of show in my training is like here's a good a good example of good enough to go on to the next step and then if the next step doesn't work out don't be afraid to go back but without drilling so it's very hard like there's like a fine line there but yeah that's it definitely got me thinking and trying to incorporate that so that other people can learn that as well um back to the trust thing in the same example with the mayor he was talking about is the mare would like do all these different things, but she was worried all the time. So she would, she would stop and she could spin and she could do all these things, but she would, then she would just spook at nothing. So she, what he was saying is that she's responding to the rider because of programming and not necessarily trust. So again, the same thing was like, she'll do all these things, but she doesn't necessarily trust you, especially when you're using negative reinforcement and you go from like, um, when you're asking, when you don't really ask and you go from like increasing pressures, that, that can be a really quick way to lose your horse's trust. And when I like, when I use negative reinforcement, I like to just hold that one pressure and kind of wait or set them up to do that. Um, or incorporate some other, like a target or something with positive reinforcement to help them out. Um, because when you increase those pressures really high, you could definitely lose that trust. So the other thing that I really liked, and I'm going to say, I said that with everything, but whatever, um, was giving the horse time to think through things. So soaking it in, letting them sit, thinking about stuff is really important. Lots of trainers say that, but it, it, it is important. It's not, and I do that too. I'll be like, okay, well, we should stop and then we should turn and then we should do this and we got to go over that jump and like do all these things. But it's like, we need to add in the pause. Like, should we, we can, okay, we can do some trotting, then we can stop and rest then we can do some cantering and then we can stop and rest versus like trotting, cantering, do some jumps, um, you know, go do a course and then rest, you know, it's, it let the horse think about stuff, especially when you're training them, um, training them with new things like that they don't understand, giving them time, giving them the benefit of the doubt is really important. Um, because in this example, he says that the horse didn't know when she was doing something right. And that's a, another big thing is like when you're not releasing properly or at the right time or maybe you're releasing a little bit and then you're immediately asking the horse to do something else or you're punishing it for doing something like slightly different like he had another example where he's trying to teach this horse to change leads and they would work on changing leads and he would change the lead but then um then after he would change the lead a few times he would kind of like drop his shoulder or pull him a certain way and they'll and he was like, the rider was like, oh, well, now he's dropping his shoulder. I got him to change leads and now he's dropping his shoulder. And Mark's like, no, he's like, all right, the horse is asking you if you want me to change leads now. And I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense. The horse was like trying to be like, hey, this is what you wanted, right? And instead we thought of it as a problem. So yeah, we got to, the horse doesn't know. They're, they're trying to communicate. That's why let's like communicate first and then let's figure out what, what the problem is, not just jump to conclusions and assume that they're trying to be bad. So, and I think that's a big problem for lots of horses. They don't know, like, and that's where that, like letting them think, letting them have time to, 
time to think through things, time to have rest and stuff so that they know that they're doing something right. And that's what I love about clicker training is they know they got something right because I gave them a reward. When you're using the reinforcement, you got to give them that release and that rest time. That's really important so that they know they're right. Um, and again, back to my like trust um, example is and what he says is that once the horses are cof- comfortable with each other, the goals and the things that would more likely take care of themselves. And just like with my trailer loading example, it just took care of itself. Like didn't plan for it, didn't train it. Like I'm not saying don't do those things. I love training. Definitely set your horse and yourself up for success. But once you have that trust, it, it just comes a lot easier for sure. Um, and then the last thing that I have, even though this is going to be kind of long, um, is that the connection between what I'm able to give my horse and what the horse is able to give back to me. That's, that's the, the whole gist of it is like, you have to have that connection. Like you are giving your horse time to think and you're asking them to do things versus making them to do things. You're trusting them. You're letting them make choices. And then the horse will trust you and give that back to you. And that's just, that's basically my philosophy of horsemanship and training is there's got to be a communication. It's a conversation between you and the horse. It's not you just forcing them to do something, you just making them, um, you just, you know, bossing them around or being a leader all the time. It's a partnership. It's that communication. And I, that's pretty much what I got out of that. It was really, really good. So now I'm going to read, I think I got four more books of his and I'm going to read one of those, but I might add in a couple of these episodes, um, just different things. Um, this one was more like philosophy. I mean, obviously there was a ton of training stuff in there, but it was also a lot of philosophy stuff that was really good, but I'll do just like different books. Cause I do like to read quite a bit. Um, and hopefully you can learn something from it or you can read the book yourself or not. It's kind of up to you, but yeah. So hopefully that helped.